This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Thanks for being with us this morning. This is something that uh, we've talked about on this program. Certainly, it's uh, been discussed uh, at many government levels as well. But it was one line in a news release that led to a Vancouver Courier article about the decriminalization of illicit drugs and whether or not the city of Vancouver is really looking at this as something that it would like to support. Well, joining us on the line to talk a bit more about this is Jordan Westfall, the president of the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs. Jordan, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, what, what is happening, do you think, or what kind of, kinds of conversations are taking place when we look at the idea of decriminalizing drugs, including heroin, cocaine, uh, illicit drugs? Well, I think, uh, you know, one of the most important things people need to, to remember is that, you know, we're, we are decriminalizing drugs in a sense, or we would be in this case, uh, but, you know, really you're decriminalizing a human being, right? Someone, uh, human beings go to, go to jail for possessing drugs. Drugs themselves don't go to jail. And uh, when people go to jail for drug possession charges, they oftentimes come out a lot worse. Uh, they don't, you don't get a job retraining. You don't get job skills. You don't necessarily uh, get rehabilitated and stop using drugs. It just come, means you come back out with a criminal record. And, you know, not much else to show for it. And society, uh, you know, looks at you in a different, you know, in a stigmatizing way. So how would decriminalizing illicit drugs change that? Well, for, for, for starters, I think that people will get out of the shadows. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be less stigma and less shame uh, directed at people who use drugs. Um, oftentimes we're hearing stigma uh, as a buzzword in, you know, all all levels of government, we need to reduce stigma. Well, I mean, stigma itself comes from the fact that it is a criminalized act to possess drugs. Um, in order to, to defeat that stigma, I mean, decriminalization has to be on the table and it has to be, it has to be applied. Does it have to be part of a bigger solution, though? Because people will hear that and say, "Okay, we understand that. And there are other examples, uh, such as Portugal, which often gets uh, used as an example of decriminalization and how uh, it uh, led to a a huge decrease in the number of drug related deaths. Uh, But it's not enough, is it, to say, "Okay, fine, it's okay to be carrying these drugs and using these drugs. They're no longer criminal. But does it not have to be part of a bigger approach that the, the end goal is still to stop using them? Well, I think, I think decriminalization, um, if, you, if, you in, if you insist on, like, let's say, uh, you know, eventually not using drugs after, you know, eventually going to treatment or something like that, let's say, um, the fear is that, you know, if, if we trade in, in voluntary imprisonment, um, with something like, let's say, mandatory or coerced treatment, uh, the outcomes we're looking for might not be there. So the idea is to keep people safe while, you know, while they are using and making sure that, yes, we need like a holistic approach and we need, you know, a variety of supports. Um, And for for folks who want to stop using drugs, we need to have those supports, you know, available right away and rapidly scaled up. Now, if some people are fine with still using drugs, then those are the folks we just need to keep safe. But for people who do want to go to treatment, we definitely need to have those options and they need to be available immediately when people decide uh, that they want to go to treatment because timing is very important. 
um, when someone, you know, let's say if someone has an overdose and afterward, you know, they're thinking, oh, my God, I got to do something different with my life. Um, you know, making sure they have access to treatment right away is very important. And, you know, under a, a decriminalization uh, or a regime of decriminalization, uh, for one thing, there'll be a lot of money saved and, and, and that money can be redirected into the treatment system. Uh, when you talk about uh, for the people that want to continue uh, to using these drugs uh, that until the point, uh, hopefully, that they get to of wanting treatment, that we should let that be. But what if somebody is is doing things such as breaking into vehicles or petty crime and such to support that drug habit, to purchase the drugs, to continue using them? Is that okay? No, it's certainly not okay. But that is that does come from the fact that, you know, drugs are, for one thing, uh, on a, on a black market, very expensive. Uh, people end up resorting to, to, to crime to get their substances. Um, for folks like that, you know, if, if, if we, we have options that can reduce that and make sure people, you know, can still use, uh, but they're not also, you know, inhibiting anyone else's rights or breaking the laws, you know, there's, you know, access to safer drugs like prescription hydromorphone and prescription heroin. Um, these things have been proven to, you know, reduce the amount of crime people have to commit because simply, you know, for the simple fact that, you know, they have an access point to their substances in a medical setting and they're, that greatly reduces the need to commit any crimes to support their habits. Most of the crime is survival, right? It is for people who, you know, street-level street users who uh, have no other alternatives usually. Um, and, you know, we, we do have programs that need to be scaled up uh, that, that can support people like that. Uh, you said you use the term coerced treatment. What, what does that look like? Well, it's basically... Uh, basically just a, you know, let's say, let's say if it would, if you were in front of a judge and a judge ordered you to go to a treatment center, um, and, you know, despite your, you know, if you, if you felt comfortable going or you didn't feel go comfortable going, you had to go, you were, you were basically coerced into treatment. Otherwise the only other option is, uh, either jail or, you know, or, you know, jail or prison. So, so course treatment is basically, you know, having no alternative and it's, you know, for, for politically, for some people, it sounds like a good idea, but it usually, um, the research suggests that it doesn't work because people, you know, and when you're using drugs, you have to inherently by yourself want to, want to quit using. And, you know, just simply saying now you have to go to treatment. Uh, if, if someone's motivation isn't to stop using, they won't stop using. Right, because on the surface, it sounds like not a bad option. The reason that you're in front of the judge is because something has gone wrong in your life, and treatment could be the thing that fixes it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. But when we if, when we force people into treatment, they usually reject it. Right? Uh, it usually, you know, there's a reaction to forcing someone into treatment. I, it does sound uh, appeasing to some people, but there's also, you know, there's an issue of human rights. Uh, and, you know, and simply the fact that it just, it's, it's not as simple as just sending someone to treatment. Uh, you need support afterwards. You need to make sure that, um, they're supported throughout their experience and, you know, simply ordering someone to treatment doesn't necessarily achieve anything.
Um, when we when we talk about this, then how do you see this uh, unfolding? Because we do, it does seem that in Vancouver, with with more supervised sites, and that it's not as though people at those sites are being busted for having drugs on them, having heroin on them, or whatever drug they choose. So, in a way, aren't we already dealing with a scenario where that there's kind of a de facto decriminalization? No, I think I think uh, strictly within you know, let's say the overdose prevention sites in Vancouver, I, um, in these rooms, drugs are decriminalized, and you know, there's there's several of them, but that means, I mean, geographically, that means like ninety nine point nine percent of the city, you you will be arrested and charged for possessing drugs. Um, so we do have a few rooms where people can possess drugs and not worry about going to jail for it. But at the same time, you know, we know in these rooms that, you know, this is the safest place for people to be. Uh, they don't die. They don't, you know, they don't over, they don't die. They don't die of overdose. They don't contract HIV. These are, you know, very safe places for people to be. And it's just an example of how decriminalization can support people and bring them out of the shadows. Um, and how that can be applied to wider society. And it just doesn't just have to be in, you know, like a, a, an overdose prevention site on Hastings. Uh, there's really no need for a criminal, you know, a criminal punishment for possessing drugs anywhere in the city or in the country. All right, Jordan, we'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. But thank you again so much for joining us on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that is Jordan Westfall. He is the president of the Canadian Association of People Who Use Drugs, talking about the idea of decriminalizing all uh, illicit drugs. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.